You know, this, uh, this morning we're going to look at the supreme fatherhood of God as we have been going through this series about the awesome nature of our God. And uh, this is a topic that is vitally important um, in our culture today. So let's, let's bring our time before the Lord and ask for His blessing. Father, You are awesome and glorious. You are good in every way. Everything You do is good. Your wisdom and Your knowledge and Your understanding is past finding out. We who are finite cannot fathom that which is infinite. You are God. You are near to us. And yet so often we don't perceive You. You're all around us. You manifest Your glory and Your goodness and Your power and Your love continually, but we're blind and we do not see. Oh Lord, this morning I ask that You would help us to see, to see You as our Father, our Heavenly Father, that we would understand that and know that, that You, oh Lord, would become clear in our mind that we would see and perceive you as we ought to and not as some false God that we've fabricated in our own heads, but that your word would speak to us, that we would know you and understand you as you really are. Please, Lord, grant us mercy this morning and eyes to see and ears to hear, for this is your doing. And we must submit ourselves to you under your word and say, teach us, O Lord. We want to see you and know you, for we ask this in Christ. Amen. You know, if there's one thing about God we often miss, it is the fact that He is a Father and what that means. And what, especially what exactly that means to us as children. And then, you know, if there's one thing that's needed and one thing that needs to be declared loud and clear in the world today, it is the, the fact that if you look around, one thing you will notice is the absence of fathers. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children, that's one out of three, a third, live without their biological father in the home. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than their peers living with their fathers. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. So why is it so important for us to understand the supreme fatherhood of God? Because without understanding our God and His fatherhood and our relationship to Him as Father, we don't understand what we're doing. We don't know what it means to be a father And on top of that, most of us, all of us, have had fathers who are not very good image bearers of the father. And so we even pervert who God the father is based on the image bearers before us. 
Because that, their duty, a job, all fathers are to reflect the image of God the Father. And yet most of us have not seen what, what God the Father is really like. And so we have to go back to scriptures and kind of get to understand who God the Father is. Because every single one of us here is fallen. Wherever Father Adam And as a result, there's brokenness all over the place. So the image is marred. And even the very best case scenario, the best father in this world, the image is marred. It's not, it's not a true representation. And the only way we even know what it means to repent, the only way we know what it means to reflect that image is if we know and understand our father. And so many of us, do a lot of perverting, perverted things because we reflect upon the Father through the image bearers on earth. And where the Father needs to reflect upon the image bearers on earth, we have to understand fatherhood from Him, who is the supreme Father, the Father of all fathers. So the first thing I want us to understand this morning about God the Father is that He calls and covenants with His children. This is significant. If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, where God calls to Adam and enters into covenant with them, he calls Adam to himself. And he brings him close to himself and he enters into covenant. And we see this kind of being played out and articulated in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you jump down to verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So here the father comes to Adam, and Adam is begotten of the father. The father made him from the dirt and breathed the spirit into him, and he's living. And then he calls Adam to himself, places him in the garden, and tells him what he's to do. You're to work and to tend the garden. This is what I want you to do. Work and tend the garden, and you're free to eat all of the trees you want, except there's one that you should not touch. And so there's his parameters. He gives, he gives Adam his calling, his parameters, his job description, and he describes to him what, what he's to live and do and what he's not to do. And if he breaks this established covenant between the two of them, he was, to sure, he was going to surely die. So this covenant relationship is established, and the Father establishes it. He establishes it with his son and says, these are the parameters. In here is blessing, out here is cursing. Here you'll get my love and goodness, out here is apart from me and you'll get my judgments. A covenant, a covenantal binding relationship that describes and explains to his son exactly what is required of him. We see the same kind of thing God doing with his, with his children throughout Scripture. If we move along in Genesis, several hundred years later, God calls Noah to himself and he enters into covenant with him. And then God calls Abraham to himself and enters into covenant with him. And he does the same with Jacob. 
And then he calls Israel out of Egypt. And when he calls Israel out of Egypt and he walks them and guides them and takes them into the wilderness, he enters into covenant with them, Mount Sinai. In this process, God the Father reveals what the perfect Father does in that he makes sure his children are brought near to him. They're brought near to him. He calls them to himself. And then when he calls them to himself, what does he do? He enters into covenant with them. He establishes the parameters and the boundaries where the blessings are found, where the cursings are found. It isn't ambiguous, and it isn't a relationship built on insecurity. The Father establishes security in the relationship by covenanting, binding himself. Binding himself, and, and actually even willing, if you can see this in certain, all the covenants, there's this element of blood coming in after the fall. God has the animals with Abraham split in two and put on either side, and he walks through the, and God the Father goes through them. Is a symbol of may this may the may whoever breaks this covenant be torn in two like these animals. He's not, the father is not afraid to make commitment. He's faithful. He calls his children to himself and he commits, full on commits. He doesn't waver. His word never never is like a faulty promise or just a wish. It's no, it's it's a fact. His word comes to pass. And if there's one thing you notice in the scriptures as you walk through it, God's word comes to pass. He never, ever, ever breaks covenant. Ever. He joyfully and gladly enters into a covenant, binding himself even to death. What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean that God our Father is our Father? It means that at the very least, this one thing, He calls His children to Himself, brings them near, and enters into a covenantal relationship with them where He binds Himself to them. And this means a few things. One, God is not an abdicator. He's not wandering off doing His own thing. God is near and He draws near and His desire is to be with His children, His family. Two, he's willing, to, he's willing to bind himself so tightly to them that he will establish that in blood. And three, he clearly defines the parameters, the boundaries. He's the one who sets up how the household is going to work and function. The boundaries for the relationship. He's, he's the one who says, hey, you want to have a good relationship? Then do X, Y, and Z, you want to have a really bad relationship? Do A, B, and C. And he says, this is how the relationship is going to work. He calls his children to say, this is the parameters of our relationship. And then the father does something else. In this covenant, when his children break covenant, what does he do? If we go through, we go through the scriptures, his children are always breaking covenant, aren't they? What does he do? He disciplines them. He disciplines them and disciplines them and disciplines them and disciplines them and disciplines them. And he will keep disciplining them until the point they will not turn back to him. They won't turn to him at all, but they, they go off away from him in utter and complete rebellion against him. And at some point, what he does is he cuts them off. 
This is what I'm done with you. I've chastened you. I've rebuked you. I've called out to you. I've disciplined you in every way. But in, it comes a point where you will not listen to me any longer, and then he cuts them off. And so when it comes to us, when it comes to being a father, what does it mean to be a father? It means that you, you one, you draw near to your children, you draw near to your household, you draw near to your family, and, and, and when you draw near, you establish a very deep covenantal relationship, a commitment that you, 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 would, you will die before you break it. You might be broken in pieces by it, but you will die before you break it. Boy, oh boy, is that missing in the land or what? Covenantal faithfulness is all that matters. This is why we we don't have fatherhood, because they don't even understand what it means. They think if if their pleasures aren't being met, if their desires aren't being met, if it's not good for them, and if it's not something that's working out for them, see you later. You know, in a lot of cases, they say, see you later, they jet. But here's just as bad, an abdicating father who comes home and he's mindless, brainless, and he's not present. A father who's sitting there, and he's and all he ever does is he's eating at the table, and his mind is just constantly in his work, and he can't ever engage with anybody. He's never connected. He's there in body, but he's absent in spirit. That's... An absent father. That is not like God the Father. The God the Father draws near. And not only that, a father, God the Father, if he, if we're to reflect that, we don't just, you know, we don't just draw near to the family and then let all hell break loose. We establish parameters. (laughs) We establish parameters. Establish the covenant. Okay, this is, this is what is, this is what's required in this household. And this is how it's going to go. And not just establish boundaries and, and requirements, but uphold them. And this requires a lot of work. This requires a lot of discipline. This requires a lot of sacrifice because I tell you what, there's going to be a lot of breaking of the rules. And, and, and fathers, when you get weary because of all the breaking of the rules, just remember the Heavenly Father has, has withstood uh, a million times more. Fatherhood requires an engaged father who's like concerned for the household, establishes the covenantal rules, the boundaries, and actively upholds them. Actively upholds them. Actively upholds them. And he's usually broken by it. He's usually wearied by it. He's usually overcome by it. Because we and our weakness cannot do it. And that's why we have such a great heavenly father. Who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You have not found out where your true strength is. Your true strength and your true power is in me. And life will break you and crush you and expose you because it's constantly showing that you don't have it, but God does. So you have to learn as you're being crushed, as you're being crushed by the obligations within your family, you have to learn where true strength is found, and it's not in you. That takes a long time because we're proud because we want to be strong, because we want to have the strength, because we want to be known as those who are strong. But our our strength and our power is in the Lord, not in our flesh, not in ourselves. 
And so this is the first thing we have to understand, is that the God the Father calls his children to himself, and he covenants with them, and he labors within that covenant to uphold the demands of that covenant without fail. Without fail. The other thing that God the Father does is he gives his children a name, and this is important as well. God names covenant heads, and then those heads give names to all those they beget. This is what you'll see in scriptures. God named Adam. He says, you're Adam. Adam named Eve. God renames Abram, calls him Abraham. God, and then Abraham names his children. God renames Jacob, and he calls him Israel. And Jacob names all his sons. God sends an, even if we go all the way through scripture, we find that God, God's naming puts, puts a name on them, declares who they are. And even when it comes to Jesus, if you, if you remember this in the gospels, the angel Gabriel goes to Mary. And God, through the angel, declares what his name is going to be. God names his son. He says, his name shall be Jesus. And then, when we come to Jesus, Jesus begins to name his children. Because this is something interesting happens within the naming of it. All those who, who follow Jesus get this name Christian. Christ ones. Christian. Christ followers, those who belong to Christ. You were not a Christian, now you become a Christian. This is why it's so lovely at a baptismal ceremony. When someone comes out of the world, gets washed in the waters of baptism, and comes out, and we call them Christian. The ceremony by which they are named, you receive a name. You belong to Jesus. You are His. You have His name on you. And then in Revelation 2.17, at the resurrection, it says we're given a new name. Because Jesus says to the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So from beginning to end, what we see is God naming those who are his. These are my children, and I give them a name, and they possess his name. And this, this is significant, we are, because we are named and we are called by the Father. This is what shapes, a name is what shapes your life and your destiny. Who are you? Who are you? And I'm not just Dean. I'm a Christian. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God, and this is significant. God names you, and he wants you to understand the significance of your name. Even when he says to, to Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. Because that's he's going to become that. And he names them, and when he names them, he can't even have one kid. How can the father of many nations, who's old now and can no longer father many nations, become a father of many nations? Because God named him and he has a destiny. And as at that point, it's as good as done. But he messes with Abraham's head. And he has to deal with this his whole life and struggle. I'm the father of Abraham. Oh yeah, I'm carrying around that name for a while. Father of many nations. Here I go, me and my wife and no kids. And I'm getting old. 
Father of many nations. Yes, so God names him and God declares in the name of him what this is going to mean. It's significant. It, it's his destiny. And sure enough, Abraham comes, becomes the father of many nations, even in his old age. You know, I just love the fact that in the Gospels where the Father, God the Father says to Jesus, his son, to God the Son, he declares in his baptism something glorious, where God says, this, this is my beloved son. It's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father calls and names him, puts his name on him, and this is you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, what child does not want to hear the father say that to them? My beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. You know, that's giving, the father gives the son everything he's ever wanted or needed. All that he needs in life to do, fulfill his calling, is to be named by the father as a beloved son in whom he's well pleased. The assurance, the love, and the naming of the Father is what gives Jesus everything he needs. He knows who his Father is. He knows his relationship to his Father. He knows his Father thinks of him, and, and he knows he's well-pleased, and he goes in that strength and might. And, you know, this is what every son or daughter longs for, longs from their Father, longs for the Father to name them, to call them and say, listen, you're my beloved, and he, and and." and and speak into their lives things like the, this, the sense of security and the fact that they love you and, and they're for you and have, and have named you on reason for a purpose. Without that, that direction of the Father, without the Father speaking into life like that, a life tends to lack meaning and purpose. So many Christians, it's amazing, so many Christians don't live and understand who they are as Christians. They don't understand how they've been named by the Father. You're a child of the living God. Not everybody gets this privilege. You're a child of the living God, a son and daughter of God, the Father. He's named you. And you know what? He says to each one, you're my beloved, you're my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Well, why would he say that? You know, you know what I did last week? You know what I thought? We're, 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 we're very much um, performance-based on how we think others view us. We think the Father's going to view us in a certain way because based on how we thought, acted, and the things that we did that week. And sure, he might be displeased, but as a good, loving Father, he'll bring discipline. But it doesn't change the fact that he, if, so, if you see yourself and you understand yourself as a sinner... You understand yourself as someone who's fallen short. You see that you've not lived up to the holy requirements of God. Do you realize that delights the Father? It's a, it's a child in whom he's well pleased. The one who isn't well pleased with himself. He's well pleased because you realize, you see, you acknowledge that you aren't good. And you realized it. And in faith you turned to him and sought him for mercy. Do you realize that pleases the Father? It's not so that you could walk up to Him and have just a wonderful, great week, got the badge and the sticker that says you just, you're something else. And you say, what do you think, Father? He goes, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're awesome. No. Because that's not what delights Him. That's not what pleases Him. We go to Him in humility. We go to Him in brokenness. We go to Him in our weakness. 
We go to him even with our sins and say, Father, you know, you know who I am and you know what I've done and you know that there's nothing I can do apart from you. Oh, you're a child in whom I'm well pleased because you get it. You get that in you nothing good lies, but all good is within me. And you're seeking me, and you're seeking the one who is good, and the one who can provide the strength, the one who can provide the blessing. And that pleases the Father. You know, we have to understand that God the Father, as he calls and he covenants, he also names And this name is significant. You have to, on a daily basis, understand who you are in Christ. Go read Ephesians 1. That you might know that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Just as he chose you, took you to himself. And he's named you, and he's forgiven you, and he's loved you, and he's given you an inheritance, and he's put a spirit in you. He's done so many things for you. He's, there's not, no much more, not much more he can do to prove and declare to you that he loves you. And he's put his name on you. And this is significant. You belong to him. I also want us to see that God the Father gives his children not just a name, doesn't just enter into covenant with them, but he also gives them a purpose. He gives them a purpose and a calling, something to go do. And then he, he sacrifices himself in order for you to fulfill it. Here's what I mean. In the beginning, God the Father gave Adam and Eve the glorious calling and mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over it all and bring it all under your feet and make it all into this glorious, beautiful garden city. He gave them everything, and his blessing was on it. And it was amazing and glorious. After the fall, God doesn't, just doesn't get rid of them. Let's wipe it all clean and start over again. He begins the process of sacrificing himself so that his children could fulfill this calling he gave them. He promised Abraham, as we already looked at, that he would make him a great nation through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He promised Israel that he would give them the land and bless and prosper them. He promised David that his son would sit on his throne forever and that he would establish his kingdom over all the earth for all eternity. God is really about giving his children a great vision and a calling that this this world is yours and the fullness thereof. The meek will inherit the earth. The Father wants you to know, I have, I've called you and given you a purpose on this world. And, and you realize that, that all things in this world are yours. Now go and submit the whole world under the, the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go. It's a beautiful and glorious calling that we're all a part of. You know, but the most extreme expression of love to the world, the most extreme expression where God does what only he can do to make sure that we fulfill what's going to happen is he sends his only begotten son. He so loves the world, he so loves the world that he gives his only begotten son. Who will fulfill all these promises? Jesus came to restore all things and to heal us and to redeem us so that we might ultimately fulfill the most glorious calling on earth. Jesus was given possession and authority over heaven and earth and all that is in them 
And he was crowned with glory and honor. The nations are yours, my son. The father, the father says, the nations are yours. You'll be judge over all heaven and earth. They're yours. I've blessed you, and I've blessed you with glory and honor. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then Jesus, he turns to those who've been made the children of God through him. And he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and extend and spread the kingdom in every corner. Go. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This beautiful calling to go take over the earth. Subdue it. Bring the kingdom of God. And there's nothing greater to be a part be a part of than this incredible work of extending the kingdom. Because we know that the kingdom of God is going to take over the nations as we live under the authority of our king and proclaim the amazing news of what Jesus has accomplished. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The nations are mine. They all belong to me. The victory of the gospel, the victory of the kingdom is a certain thing. The Son is, has been received the nations. And Jesus will sit on his throne and every, and people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will come in. And the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. They become his. They are his. And he must reign in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 till all things have been placed under his feet. Until everything comes under his feet and the last enemy is death. You know, this is a glorious hope that we have. The Father gives us this hope, this exciting calling. I tell you what, when you look at the world around you, and you see, look at this, especially North America here, in America especially, and you see the state of things. Is it lovely, is it delightful when darkness prevails? Is it wonderful when um, we see wickedness on the increase and righteousness on the decrease? No, it's ugly and nasty. It should grieve your heart. You should look at it and, and be broken by it. We should look around and we, we, we should see a world that is lost and decaying and, and death-filled apart from Jesus. The only hope for this world is Jesus. He must save. He must redeem. He must restore all things. He must, he must take sinners and, and resurrect them to new life. And he must join them to himself and to the Father in heaven. And they must become new creatures so that they go and act like they would, a, a, a child of the kingdom would act. This is a calling that actually, a beautiful calling that we're a part of. Jesus has brought us into this and he says to the church, go, go, go into all the earth. Go into all the nations. Go and make disciples. And it's not, we're not he's not asking us to go and make disciples and say, yeah, have, have fun with that as you go and get annihilated and uh, nothing works out for you. No, he's saying, go boldly, go, for it's going to happen. <laughs> go 
and the nations will become mine. Go in faith, believing, and I am with you even to the end of the age. The Father, so the Father sends his Son, the Son sends the sons and daughters out, and he gives us his glorious, wonderful calling, the thing we can never forget, the hope that we cannot let go of. We win in the end. Jesus conquers. His gospel goes forward, and the kingdoms of God overcomes the kingdoms of this earth. And you have to believe that and in hope know that because it's the only thing that keeps you pressing forward in dark days. You know, one of the church's biggest problems today is that it's lost its sense of call from the Father, of his mission and what it's supposed to be doing. We're just plugging along, plugging along, doing our thing, minding our own business, and, and we're wondering what's happening to America. If you look around, you will see a country that's lost its way completely, lost its call. We go to work to make a bunch of money to build our own little kingdoms. We do our own things. We live for retirement. We have, we, we, we have to have a hope. We have to have a dream. We have to have a call. So we, so we make it up. And we make up something that's just like that of the world. And, so, and, and part of it, we're, we disengage If you look around, it it appears that the church is very much disengaged from the world, and it continues to disengage, as opposed to enter in in hope. Because if you and if you start to lose hope, do you know what you do? You quit. You give up. And I hear a lot of Christians talk. It's hopeless. This country's hopeless. You kidding me? With Jesus on the throne, it's hopeless. I think we're seeing what we're seeing because the church is not understanding that, that who they are and what the Father's called them to and what He's promised. We're not engaged. We don't go to work singing the praise of God in joyful obedience, um, sacrificing ourselves and laying ourselves down so that, so that, uh, the manifestation of the kingdom can come to our work. We don't go to our homes in the same way. See, one thing you notice about the Father, when he, when he, when he calls us to something, he, he's willing to sacrifice everything so that we can fulfill it. He gave his only begotten Son. He so loved us. And that's a, that's a distinct aspect of the Father. When it comes to he calls, something he calls us to, he gives everything of himself for it. He's willing to sacrifice everything, his deepest, dearest possessions for it, for his children's victory in conquest. So we need to be people who understand that God the Father gives a calling and then he sacrifices everything to fulfill it. Fathers, do you give your children, do we give our children a, a, a calling and then sacrifice everything of ourselves for it? Whenever we know what our Father has done in us and through us by his son, we will gladly sacrifice everything we have for the good and the benefit of the people he's placed in our lives. When, when you see a man sacrificing himself for his family, for his community, for his church, for the people that are, that God has placed around him, when you see that happening, you are seeing a glorious representation of the father. That's what he does. He gives everything for the good and the benefit of his children. Here's a story of a guy I met through Facebook this last week, and he was sharing with me how God has changed his life. 
His name is Corey. He says, God has put it on my heart to start an outreach ministry, to tell everybody about what God and Jesus Christ has done for me. I used to be a drug addict and a drug dealer. I was once lost in darkness and I was the problem, but he transformed me. He changed my life, restored my family, my heart, my mind, and my freedom. He keeps blessing, so I will do it boldly in Jesus' name. I don't let anyone pass by without me telling them what Christ has done for me. This this guy's what we call, this guy's on fire, right? And it's also very new to him. It's like he became a Christian five months ago. But here's, here's a man transformed by the love of God. He's come to know his true father. And, and, and he's, he's overjoyed with the love, with the freedom, with the acceptance, with the forgiveness. His life is transformed. He knows he's free. He's been set free. He's been filled with the love of the Father. And he's jacked. And he's, he doesn't let anybody get by him without telling him, this is what God has done for me. Testifying what God has done for him. You know, see, Corey tasted the Father's love. He knows it. And he's making it known. And here's the thing. When we know the love of the Father in Jesus, we go to sac- we go then and we sacrifice ourselves and we give ourselves up gladly because of how he gave himself up for us. People who are, especially men and fathers who are unwilling to sacrifice, they don't know the sacrifice of the father. When you know what the Father has done for you by giving His Son, and He's loved you, and He's freed you, and He's called you, and He's blessed you, when you know that, that's, that's what you go and do. As we looked at last week with the love of God. This love compels us and transforms us and sends us. We go, what, what happens is when we know the love of the Father, and what he's called us to, we go home and we sacrificially love our families. We go to work and we sacrificially lay ourselves down for the good and the benefit of those around us. We go to church and we sacrifice ourselves for the good and benefit of those here. Because that is what true fathers do. You want to know what a father is? A father is one who lays down his life, sacrifices himself, and and, and gives of himself. And at the end of the race, at the end of the day, he's dead and exhausted and wearied because he's, and, and he's marred and scarred because he gave himself just as God gave himself to him. And any father who doesn't know the father, God the father, and don't, doesn't know his love and doesn't know how the fact that he's called them to himself, covenanted with them, named them, given them a wonderful calling, and the father sacrifices everything for us. Anyone who doesn't know that, will never live that. Do you want to know whether you know it? You look at and see whether you're living it. I'm telling you what, the desperate need, a desperate need in this nation is for men to understand God the Father and understand and know what that means. We start to get it and understand it, you'll see men sacrificing everything for their families. More than gladly willing to covenant and enter into covenant and, and, and faithfully live out that covenant and sacrifice themselves for that covenant. 
You'll see fathers naming their children, giving them a calling, and doing everything they can and blessing them to fulfill that calling in Christ. But you know what is really awful? Is to look at a fallen man who's never known God the Father. Never known. Because all you'll see is a horrible state of a man posturing in his bravado. We love, we men, men, don't we love? Don't we love to give the impression that we're strong? Don't we love people to think of us as being capable, as taking care of things, of being the one who's on top, of being the one who's the victor, being the one who's able to accomplish, the one who's able to put down? Of course we do, but it's all of the flesh. The crazy part is that most bravado and most things that are put on, if strength is put on the outside and you're trying to, and you're trying to, through clothing and big trucks with big tires and big mud flaps and big flags hanging off the back and big guns and big everything, it's bravado. Because inside is a tiny little boy who's terrified that they might be found out. He's not a man. It's all a show. You want to be like the father? Lay down your life. Do you know what that shooting in Florida that just happened? Do you want to know the true man? There's, there's a couple men there that actually, they, they took bullets and died so other students might live. And cops fled. You know, we have to understand that, you know, to be a true man and to truly live as a man, you really got to know what it means to die. Die to yourself. And I'm not talking just the big, day, take the bullet. You know, we all say, I would take the bullet. I would definitely take the bullet. Well, you can't say that until the bullet comes. But one thing you can do to prove that is get off your butt in your home and go and serve your family and want, and let them see you sweat. Let them see you work hard. Let them see you sacrifice and give. That's taking a bullet of another kind. You know, I'm often dismayed at my own desire to save and protect and glorify myself. It's hideous. And if there's one thing I hate about me, it's about my desire to protect and glorify and preserve myself. I want to be like Jesus, who will lay it all down for the sake of his bride. You know, there is no honor. There's no honor in a man protecting himself. There's only honor in a man laying down his life for those he's called to love in the practical details of life. You see a man humbly serving, giving of himself, willing to sacrifice himself in the day-to-day? That man would take a bullet any day because he's doing it where it matters and counts on a day-to-day basis. He's manifesting that very thing, the willingness to sacrifice himself and lay himself down for his family. You know, here's something significant about a boy. A boy wants to be coddled and have his owie taken care of, and he wants to be given a big hug and told he's going to be okay. But 
if he does not grow up and grow past that, and he's in his 20s, and he still runs to his wife when he has an owie, and looks for her to hug him and coddle him and tell him to be okay, he's not learned what it means to be a man. He's not willing to sacrifice and to bleed and to hurt and to lay his life down for his family. He still wants his wife to treat him like his mom. He wants a mommy still. And I think a lot of men want their mommies still. And, and, and the reason being, they're still stuck in the protective mode, still trying to protect and uphold and make everybody think there's something that they're not. And the truth is, there is no manhood, there is no fatherhood without sacrifice and laying it all down. So here's my call to you men. Fathers, if you are going to be a father like the Heavenly Father, you first must know the Father and know everything that He's done for you and understand that. So study the Scriptures and know the Father. Know what He's like. Study the Scriptures to understand Him and to know what He's done for you so that you might know how you're to live out so that you then can go and you can call and pull your children near to you. You enter into covenant with that family and you bind yourself to them. You name your children with purpose and you, and, and you, you seek to pursue every, everything in you. You sacrifice yourself so that they might fulfill their calling in the world and glorify God in everything they do. You do that and you'll be just like the Father. And when we fail in that, we're totally unlike the Father. And when we fail like that, which we often do, where do you turn? Well, you better start turning to the Father and then hear from Him the words. I forgive you. Cleanse you. Oh, Lord, I don't have the strength. I strengthen you. He has everything you need. Everything. Learn to be fully dependent on Him and look to Him. Learn to know Him and learn to know His ways and you will begin to reflect Him in the world. And then that will be glorious. Amen.